This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good evening. Welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are in frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. I am Spumila Lezondi with Onelentinti, Tabisoliwugu and Tamikluza. Your top stories. The Southern African leaders converge in Harare for the Head of State Extraordinary Summit. Burundi authorities shut down social media sites. In economics, Access Power agrees a deal with Egypt's government to build a 65-megawatt solar power plant. And in sport, Mayweather and Pacquiao again divided in fight build-up. First, the news with Onel. For the latest news, good evening, I am Onel Nsinti. A top U.S. diplomat is heading to Burundi today, seeking to hold escalating unrest triggered by President Pierre Nkurunziza's decision to seek a third term in office. Since Sunday, police in the landlocked nation at the heart of Africa have clashed with protesters who say Nkurunziza's plan to run again in the June 26 election threatens the Arusha peace deal that ended an ethically fueled civil war in 2005. Protesters have taken to the streets of the capital for four days straight today in protest at the President Pierre's Nkurunziza seeking a third term. The United States, other Western nations and African countries are pushing for Nkurunziza to step aside. Niger began three days of mourning today after the small West African country lost dozens of soldiers and civilians during clashes with Islamist terrorist group Boko Haram. At least 2,000 of the Nigerian-based insurgents killed 46 soldiers and 36 residents during an attack off Karamga Island on the Nigerian side of the Lake Chad last week. And Defense Minister Hasomi Masudo says 42 soldiers are reported missing and nine others were wounded. The the army killed more than 150 Bokram fighters during the attack. Rwanda peacekeepers stationed in the Sudanese region of Darfur are prepared for fighting. According to Chief of Defense Staff of the Rwandan Defense Force, Rwanda has one of the largest contingents of peacekeepers in the UN mission, UNAMID. They are currently operating under what the UN has described as a deteriorating security situation. UN peacekeepers are frequently targeted by militia in Darfur. Former military commander of UNMED, General Patrick Nyavumba, who is now chief of the Rwanda Defense, says more. Our troops are prepared for war fighting. Therefore, finding themselves in an environment like this uh, is not something that should surprise them. They seem to be ready to go. Increasing forces also has... It's not that you increase because somebody has asked to. There are other considerations. We have a country also to and a region that we, we have to, to look after. Um, but also at the moment we are contributing uh, overall in excess of uh, 5,000 uh, men and women to the UN. Chairperson of the Africa All-Nigerian Nations Diaspora, Jason Osifo, has refuted reports that Nigeria's top two diplomats in South Africa were recalled last week. The Nigerian Foreign Ministry said that Acting High Commissioner Martin Kobam and Deputy High Commissioner Uche Ojulu Okeke had been asked to return to Nigeria for consultations regarding the xenophobic attacks in South Africa. International and South African media widely described this as a recall. Osifo gives his interpretation of Nigeria's move. The Acting High Commissioner and the Consul General were just summoned to Nigeria for a, for a meeting to discuss issues related to xenophobia because there came up uh, conflicting reports as to whether Nigerians were uh, affected or they were not affected. So the two missions were reporting differently on the basis of information we saw on the paper, but also we knew Nigerians were uh, affected. You know, but uh, uh, to the point that the properties and businesses were affected and people were displaced. But uh, Nigeria did not lose any life in the xenophobic violence. 
And finally, Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir says South, South Sudan is supporting and hosting Sudanese rebels inside its territory. In a speech to pro-government militias in South Darfur, al-Bashir reportedly said that if South Sudan did not comply, Sudanese forces were ready to disarm the rebels themselves. Rebels are battling Sudanese government forces in South Darfur and to other regions in fightings that has displaced tens of thousands of people in recent years. Al-Bashir won re-election with 94% of the votes. Channel Africa News, Channel Africa supports the hashtag Say No to Xenophobia and We Are One. Thank you very much, Onele. The Southern African leaders today converged in Harare for the Heads of State's Extraordinary Summit chaired by Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe. Ten leaders have attended the summit, whilst high-ranking officials would also represent the remaining five. The CEDEC leaders are discussing issues to do with the regional strategy and roadmap on industrialization, although the issue of attacks on foreign nationals in South Africa could be discussed. It's still not clear whether President Jacob Zuma would agree to comment. Simon Muchemo reports from Harare in Zimbabwe. The Southern Africa Development Committee heads of state and government are in the Zimbabwean capital, Harare, where they are attending the Extraordinary Summit. Ten heads of states managed to attend, while the remaining five have sent their envoys. During the summit, the regional leaders will be discussing around the regional strategy and roadmap on industrialization. This is a call for the SADAC Industrial Development for the benefit of ordinary citizens. During his address, the SADC chairperson, President Robert Mugabe, bemoaned the lack of industrial development in the region and urged all member states to implement the strategy. Just to illustrate this point, our mineral sector alone contributes to world production about 6% of coal, 7% of nickel, 8% of copper, 13% of uranium, 15% of manganese, 18% of cobalt, 21% of zinc, 26% of gold, 41% of chromite, 55%. Listen, 55% of diamonds and 72% of platinum by the group of metals. That's our contribution to the world and not just to the region of Sadiq, nor to just Southern Africa, but to the whole world. The SADC Executive Secretary, Dr. Stegemena Lawrence Teg, said the draft strategy and roadmap was ready and required member states to implement ahead of the 2017 deadline. She said the strategy aims at promoting competitiveness and job creation. Your Excellencies, the process is undoubtedly going to be complex, in particular given the economic diversities of uh, member states in terms of structure, size, and approaches to industrial development. But as committed as SADAC has always been, with the regionalized determination for homegrown solution to our socioeconomic challenges, yes, we are capable of realizing the intended objectives and they met the set targets, which may may seem to be ambitious, but there's no other choice other than committing and ensuring that we we deliver and we meet the stated targets, which are per capita growth of about six annually and uh, translating into 2,000 U.S. dollars by 2020. GDP per capita of uh, U.S. dollars 9,000 by 2050 with a target growth of 8% and a GDP per capita of uh, U.S. dollars 17,000 implying an annual income growth of about 5% by 2063. Meanwhile, the SADAC chairperson said the region 
is rich with the resources that are never put to good use for the benefit of the locals. This eventually exposes the sadder countries whose citizens are believed to be living below one dollar per day. But alas, despite the rich and diverse endowments of our region, about 70% of our people continue to live below the poverty datum line. By exporting our natural resources in their raw form, we are not only earning marginal benefits from them, but are in essence compromising our efforts to create jobs or diversify our products or even develop our industries and thus ultimately exposing our economies to the vagaries of the fluctuations of the global resource markets. The SADAC heads of state could discuss the attacks on foreigners taking place in South Africa is alluded to by the Zambian leader Edgar Lungu upon his arrival yesterday. Despite that, President Robert Mugabe congratulated President Jacob Zuma for executing his duties well in an endeavor to bring peace in Zimbabwe and the region. Allow me as I extend my personal congratulations in the same vein to commend the chairman of the SADC organ on politics, defense and security, His Excellency President Jacob Zuma and the SADC facilitator on and SADC facilitator, he was this SADC facilitator, but he appointed Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa for guiding, I will congratulate them for guiding the peace process to its successful conclusion. A lot of work was required and we are aware that at the end of it all there was success. The election was a, a very great success. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. The International Monetary Fund says the economy of sub-Saharan countries has been heavily hit security by security threats and falling oil prices in the world market. An IMF delegation on a tour of the countries says the falling oil prices have led to up to 70% losses in some countries and the situation may be more serious in affected countries. And if affected countries rather fail to diversify resources of income for their economies, Channel Africa's Moke Kinzeka is in Yaounde for us. The IMF Six Monthly Regional Economic Outlook notes that some African countries are among the most at risk from the decreasing oil prices because of their degree of dependence on oil exports. Oil exports account for 40 to 50 percent of GDP for Gabon. Angola and Congo, and 80% for Equatorial Guinea. In Angola, Republic of Congo and Equatorial Guinea, oil also accounts for 75% of government revenues, and with the oil prices declining at up to 50%, according to Mario de Marozzi, head of the African division at the IMF, the rate of economic growth has stagnated at barely 4.5%. Economic perspectives for Sub-Saharan Africa present some major challenges. Africa is continuing to grow at a rate of forecast of about 5%. Uh, However, the drop in oil prices is evidently a major shock and which will need to be mitigated. And also in the region we have some security issues which will need to be addressed as well. So there are large opportunities but as well as a large uh, you know, challenges. And we recommend that the authorities uh, take a careful look at these uh, challenges. And they look in particular at their uh, budget tools uh, uh, to rein in the budget deficits that are forecast to be wider this year than in the last year. And to make the necessary adjustments uh, so as to prepare for transitioning out of this uh, headwind. Roger Nord, Deputy Director for IMF Africa Department, says because of the challenges, countries such as Angola, Gabon and Nigeria will find it more difficult to service their debt 
as their oil revenues fall and the depreciation of their currencies makes U.S. dollar-denominated debt more expensive. He advises sub-Saharan African countries to diversify their economies. Growth is not a short-term objective, it's a long-term objective. If you compare countries in Africa to what's happened in Asia, what's happened in Asia is 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of economic growth. But some countries in Africa, I'm thinking of Mozambique, I'm thinking of Tanzania, I'm thinking of Uganda, after 25 years of growth have reduced poverty substantially. That should be the objective for all of Africa. Dependence on one product is not a good thing because you become very subject to economic fluctuations. You become subject to boom and bust cycles. Diversification is an important uh, objective, but it's not easy. And I think if there's any lesson from this sharp decline in oil prices, it's that this diversification needs to accelerate even further. Which countries have really grown fast? It's countries that have integrated with the global economy. A United Nations report released last year notes that Africa's recent growth remains far below the continent's potential. Meaningful job creation is weak and growth is not tackling the high poverty rates and rising inequality in many countries. Also last year, Carlos Lopez, Executive Secretary of the Economic Commission for Africa, said Central African countries have the resources for industrialization and agricultural transformation and the economy's current annual growth of just under 5% does not reflect the full potential that lies in the transformation of the riches of the countries. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 17.17 Central African time. Thank you for staying with us. Now, attacks on foreign nationals in South Africa have spread to the country's Limpopo province. It's alleged that four shops were burgled and looted on Monday and a further two yesterday. A total of 13 people have been arrested in the wake of fresh attacks and looting in the province. Provincial Police Spokesperson Colonel Ronald Otto explains. Colonel, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Please tell me your name, surname, and your title. It's Colonel Renel, Utu spokesperson of the SAPS in Limpopo. Colonel, we understand that there were attacks on foreign nationals uh, has extended to, to the Limpopo province as well. Please take us through it. Um, yes, what basically happened on, on a Monday night late is that um, four shops belonging to foreigners were burgled as well as looted and one of the shops um, was also allegedly set alight. Nobody was injured during this incident, um, and we arrested eight suspects shortly after that. Um, They are being charged with um, public violence, housebreaking, as well as possession of stolen goods, as we recovered some of the stolen goods uh, from them. Um, Our public order policing members were deployed in the area. They patrolled and monitored, and since then it's been relatively quiet. Um, Last night we only had uh, two incidents of housebreaking, where people broke into shops again, but we arrested five suspects there as well and recovered some of the stolen goods. So in total, we've arrested 13 suspects. Overall, the situation is quiet and calm now, um, but our police presence in the area will be maintained. What has really happened, and how did you find out about the attacks? Yes, well, we were alerted by members of the community um, when uh, tires were being set alight first, 
and that is when our public order policing members were deployed in the area and why they were um, swift arrests made after the incident, um, so quickly after that. So, um, as I said, our, uh, we are continuing with our investigation, um, but it's not the police only in this case. We're working with other government departments as well as the municipality um, of that area, and we're also working in close relationship with the Department of Justice as well as the National Prosecuting Authority. When are the arrested going to be appearing in court and which charges are they faced with? Um, the first batch that were arrested will appear in court today at Tabazambi facing charges of housebreaking, possession of um, stolen property as well as public violence, while the others that were arrested last night will go to court tomorrow. Okay, no, thank you, Colonel. All right, that was police spokesperson of the Limbo province in South Africa, Colonel Ronald Otto, speaking to Vusi Ngosi. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1721 Central African Time. Now, medical experts in South Africa say nurses have a critical role to play in helping reduce maternal and infant mortality as well as decreasing infections like HIV, AIDS, TB and malaria as called for by the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. While some countries have made impressive gains in achieving health-related targets, others are are falling behind. Often, the countries making the least progress are those affected by high levels of HIV and AIDS, economic hardship or conflict. In our weekly look at health issues, Elizabeth Lidecha speaks to Professor Busi Pengu, chairperson of the South African Nursing Council, about how nurses can help South Africa improve its health care and the fight against the disease. The nurses make the greatest number. More than 80% of the workforce are nurses, and nurses spend 24 hours with the patient, whereas other healthcare workers would spend not more than an hour, actually if it's more than an hour, that would be great. And secondly, in the recent times when we have this scourge of HIV and AIDS, the diseases became more complex and the number of people became very ill. You know, during my time when you were a nurse in the ward, you would have at least three critically ill patients out of 30 and the rest would be able to go to the toilet and not needing assistance. But nowadays, it's the reverse. You would have maybe 27 patients out of 30 being critically ill. So everything has become more complex. Patients have become more sick. The nurses, therefore, play the greatest role in so much that most of the tasks are shifted to the nurses. So they have to carry this burden, take the functions of the other disciplines like doctors and uh, and midwives. You say that nurses often have to carry the burden of doctors, midwives, etc. To what extent has this prevented them from providing quality health and patient care? That's my worry, that when we are now busy carrying the burden of other disciplines, we probably have a problem of now having to drop our own quality of nursing. However, like I said, when these things are done, it would have been planned that when this function is taken over, then what happens to the other functions? But still, there isn't a study or studies that have looked at what then happens if functions are shifted to nurses and what happens to the functions that nurses are supposed to do. In the South African context, do you think that the critical role that nurses play in delivering quality care is often overlooked? Well, no one would really purposefully overlook quality of work that she's doing. But unfortunately, the need demands. As a regulator, by the way, I work at the South African Nursing Council. As a regulator, we would expect that nurses have a specific scope of functioning. If there should be a shift in the scope of practice, then that must be regulated. And the regulator must be convinced that that function is catered for. It is done correctly. That person 
is well prepared for that function. However, her own function that now has to be left out to take over the other function might just be not neglected on purpose, but it might just be compromised or the quality might be compromised. Now, the public health sector has been riddled with many challenges over the years and is sometimes criticised for being inefficient. Are you happy with some of the efforts going on to improve the working conditions of nurses? Unfortunately, I'm a regulator and I've been a long time in the university working there. And I do realise that, well, yes, indeed, the conditions have sort of gone for the worst. But I do see that efforts are being made. If numbers are increasing, like we were in the past census, we were 47, 48 million. We are now 54 million. And one should expect that we cannot really catch up with the way the numbers are increasing. And I do not want to get into the issue of the influx of people in the country who also have the same needs that we have in the health services. And so we need to cater for our own natural increase in the country and also to accept some that are coming into the country. And so the efforts, while they are being made, they may not necessarily catch up with the way the numbers are increasing or with the speed with which the numbers are increasing. What about addressing the issue of human resource shortages? Is enough been done there? Well, human resource shortages, unfortunately, it has to be training more. And we do not really have problems with recruitment because, you know, applications, if you go to teaching institutions and look at applications for nursing, there are thousands and thousands of applications. I just recently spoke to the admissions officer in my university, how many were the applicants for how many posts when a student uh, positions, and he said 15,000 applications for only about 80 student positions because, again, the numbers are kept because training is subsidized by the government. So we cannot take, you know, uncontrollable numbers. Just before we wrap this up, how best can transformation within the nursing profession occur? Well, whenever you're trying to solve things, you approach it from different angles. It would be from education, it would be from practice, it would be from regulation, it would be from policy. Now, in terms of education, many efforts are being done, and the efforts started long ago. For instance, the education of nursing being under the Department of Health. The problem there, it's not the problem that it is under the Department of Health, but you will remember that the Department of Health has a lot of priorities. Now, the funds have to go there. Nothing being under the Department of Health can never be a priority. Secondly, nothing needs to be monitored closely as other disciplines by experts. And experts in education are within the Department of Education. And so quality assurance should really be done. Yes, the Nursing Council does, but we also need the Council for Higher Education to evaluate and to monitor and evaluate nursing causes. In practice, besides the system issues being addressed by the Ministry of Health, the regulator, and I stand accused here also, has to assure quality in practice in terms of establishing standards of practice so that when they come and do inspections, which must be done frequently as possible, then they have standards against which they judge their evaluation. That is Professor Busipengu, chairperson of the South African Nursing Council, speaking to Elizabeth Lidicha. It's 17.28 Central African time. Now, business leaders are increasingly looking for global opportunities for growth. This is according to the 2015 FDI Confidence Index released this week. According to the 15th Annual Index from Global Strategy and Management Consulting Firm A.T. Kearney, two-thirds of companies plan to return to pre-financial crisis levels of 
foreign direct investment by 2016, but no African or Middle Eastern countries ranked in the top 25 FDI destinations in 2015. Last year, South Africa ranked 13th in the index. The other African countries included in the survey are Algeria, Angola, Egypt, Ethiopia, Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, Sudan, and Tanzania. To discuss this further, we have on the line Wim Platia, partner at AT Kearney. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, sir. Hi, good evening or good afternoon. Now, could you just tell us briefly what the index does and seeks to achieve? The index is based on interviews by um, my colleagues uh, in our Global Business Policy Council with uh, a large number of CEOs across and chief executives across the globe. So it's an international panel of um, uh, senior business leaders across various sectors and across various countries. Um, that represents a sort of, um, let's say, cross-section of business globally, and they indicate their confidence of investing in particular countries. And on the basis of that um, uh, interview set of interviews, we build the index and we build the ranking of the, uh, of the countries, which shows you the top 25 uh, destinations for perceived investments in the next years. Um, and that is the list we currently have in front of us. All right, um, Wim, why were there no African countries in the list this time? Yeah, the, the, the index um, and the interviews clearly indicated three reasons why or three criteria against which um, CEOs are making their investment decisions uh, this year. Uh, the first one is related to market potential, which is uh, related to size and growth potential of a market. second reason is regulatory framework. The third reason, which is actually a new one, is the perceived security of a market. If you look at these three elements, then the combination of this means that the CEOs are basically going for safe havens. Geopolitical um, incidents, uh, Ebola, Ukraine, ISIS in the Middle East, these type of things are now influencing uh, senior management decisions on investments. And that basically means that they're looking for safer destinations. The other element to take into account as well is the increased confidence in Europe. And that has to do with fiscal policy, with monetary policy, the quantitative easing. There is an appreciation of uh, increased growth in the European Union. And that means that we see that the um, CEOs are expecting to invest in developed countries with high growth rates and in uh, developing countries with high growth rates and a low um, uh, perceived security risk. If you then translate that to Africa, then particularly um, the uh, perception of uh, security concerns as well as the um, regulatory frameworks and the stability of regulatory frameworks are the main reasons for non-investing in Africa or uh, having no, uh, a limited confidence of investing in Africa. Mm. Uh, but South Africa was there last year. So what happened South to South Africa? South Africa was there. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. South Africa was there at place number 13. And mind you, this was done, um, the index of last year was based on interviews done before the Ebola outbreak. Um, that means that the sense of Ebola um, and the influ- influence as on perceptions on Africa was um, was limited. And I, I recognize with some of my, my colleagues and with other people I talk outside Africa as well that people do not have a, a, a full appreciation of the fact that a, a such a devastating disease in West Africa uh, not necessarily should have an influence on South Africa or East Africa, but it has in the perception of people it has. So there is a perception of risk around the continent that um, that has uh, significantly uh, influenced this. The other element you have to take into account is um, since the last survey, oil and commodity markets have gone down. Um, that means that investments in oil and gas, and there are a lot of investments uh, were tabled for Africa in oil and gas, have been either postponed or cancelled. And that is also reflected in this survey now. You will see that um, that these type of large investments uh, have a significant influence on the ranking for uh, for Africa.
It's actually interesting that you are saying that um, diseases like Ebola, as you say, that it's in it's in West Africa. It's it's nowhere near South Africa, and West Africa is probably closer to Europe than it is to South Africa. Um, and you're also mentioning um, issues like oil and gas would affect South Africa. So, who actually gets surveyed, and where are these companies based? These companies are based across the globe. Uh, and they um, uh, uh, are a cross-section of international businessmen or also businessmen from Africa. You need to take into account, by the way, that if we talk about oil and gas, I give you one example why it has an influence on South Africa as well. Um, uh, and this has been a, a public example because the company has announced this. Shell has announced a number of months ago that they are uh, rescheduling and potentially postponing and, and maybe even cancelling, we don't know, but the, the way they mentioned it, it was postponing. They are postponing their further investigations into investments in the Karoo on shale gas. So this is a very concrete example yeah, they did. of the low oil prices having an impact on how a large oil company is going to review its portfolio of investments. And then suddenly Africa is on the, uh, on the bottom of the list or South Africa is at the bottom of the list. Mm. Um, the general perception on other parts of Africa, we understand that there's Kenya um, and there's uh, Tanzania in East Africa. What's the situation there in East Africa? I think the, we, we do not make a, a distinction between the rankings of those countries which drop out of the top 25. Okay. Um, so that is, that is the first thing I, uh, I would like to say. I think in general... Um, if you look at African investment destinations, it's very much clustered around the east, as you indicated, and the south, but also the west, Nigeria, and so on. And each of these investment um, destinations have uh, slightly different angles to it. Um, but overall, I believe um, the key elements come back into play, and that is, is the market growing? So, indeed, Kenya uh, is growing faster than, I believe, Tanzania. Um, but moreover, Nigeria is growing even faster. Nigeria's economy is bigger as well. So if you look at potential, um, the first uh, criteria used by the CEOs, then potentially they will say a market which is growing over the next years with a rate of plus 7% and which has 180 million inhabitants, i.e. Nigeria, they might prefer that above another market which has maybe 45 million inhabitants and a growth rate of 35 to 4%. So these are the things you have to take into account if all else is equal. All else is related, again, as I said, to regulatory frameworks and the perception of, uh, of security. Mm-hmm. Um, if we possibly look at the future, do you think, you mentioned now that they might prefer Nigeria because of the size, because of the growth, etc., etc., but that, there's that versus the security concern in the country as well. Absolutely. But um, yeah. can we possibly find another African country or an African country, and this might include South Africa as well, um, returning to the list and making the top 25 again? Absolutely, I believe we will. Um, but you have to take into account that um, geopolitics is back in corporate strategy. Um, There is too much uncertainty in the world um, where people felt that um, the the war in Iraq was uh, was solved, that Iran and and the U.S. were coming to a deal uh, where there was stability in the Middle East and where Europe was uh, flourishing on the basis of a large European Union. There were set boundaries uh, between countries and there were no wars. Suddenly, all these things have changed um, in the last couple of months. And then suddenly, uh, funny diseases, um, to put it in, in a bit of a strange context, um, but diseases we don't know suddenly pop up as well. And that means that there is a lot of uncertainty in corporate um, uh, boardrooms about how to make decisions. It's not just economic factors. I believe that if you look at Africa, Africa has a marvelous future. Um, if you look at the demographics of Africa, if you look at the growth rate, if you look at the opportunity we have in Africa to benefit more from the natural resources we have by increasing manufacturing, um, we have a large um, consumer uh, uh, group that is, that is even growing. The middle class in Africa is growing significantly. We have urbanization. We have investments in um, uh, city transport systems, in other infrastructure. There is a lot of opportunity. I think this year is a year where emotions have taken over from uh, the more factual uh, elements, and these emotions 
um, have been to the negative of Africa for the moment. All right. Um, Wim Plates, uh, thank you very much for joining us on Channel Africa this afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Wim Plates is partner at AT Kenny. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigikonyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, authorities in protest hit Burundi have cut mobile access to several social networks and messaging applications. Networks including Twitter, Facebook and WhatsApp, which have been used to coordinate protests, were no longer accessible via mobile telephone in the capital, Bujumbura, although an official explanation for the service cut has not been given. At least five people have died since unrest broke out at the weekend when the ruling CNDD-FDD party designated President Pierre Kurunziza its candidate for the presidential election to be held in the Central African nation on June 26. To talk about this development, we're now joined on the line by Carol Motlala from Media Monitoring Africa. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Carol. Hi, thank you for the opportunity as well. What do you know about Burundi's decision to cut social media sites? Uh, We know what has been reported in the media, that uh, the state, along with telecoms companies, have cut uh, social networks such as Facebook, Twitter, and WhatsApp. And later, earlier today, we also heard that one of the privately owned radio stations was shut down. All right. And how important is social media in a country like Burundi? It's quite important here because if you're looking at a country like Burundi, you have to understand it in context. You have to understand that it's a country, it's a war-torn country. So it is still recovering from particular wars. So the literacy levels are quite low. But it's also a very 60% of the population is under 18. So when you're looking at that, and the impact of social media, especially on the youth, this particular decision becomes worrying. Mm-hmm. You're saying, if you're looking at it, especially in terms of the youth, it's worrying. Why? Why would there be? Would it be worrying um, if there's youth and youth and social media? How does the youth use social media exactly? Could you elaborate on that? We know, and we we know that social media is one of the ways that young people in the modern age, can come together and share their perspectives. It's also a way that they use to get access to information. We know that it's also a way they use to to say views that at times are not popular views, especially to those that hold power. So in a time of an election, in a very young um, country where 60% of the people there are under 18, you then limit their ability to fully participate in a democracy. That becomes worrying because these are also the future leaders of the country. What are you saying to them? Why are you cutting this? And what are you really afraid of? Mm -hmm. Um, And could the government have done this by itself without mobile phone network providers? It could have. It could have done done so itself because of particular laws that would impose perhaps very weak telecom companies to abide to it. But what becomes worrying is if the telecoms abide without raising their voices, you know? Mm-hmm. Where you, 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 we honestly feel that these telecoms companies have colluded with the government because none of them have come out to say this is wrong. 
All right. And is this the first time an African government tampers with the Internet when there are anti-government protests in the country? It's not. It's actually a worrying trend. We've seen it happen in Angola. We've seen it happen in Mozambique. And in Lesotho, it was not necessarily uh, social media. But if you remember the Ocasteti events of last year that led to... uh, our uh, deputy president going to Lesotho and all of that, where the signal was blocked all throughout the country, so no radio station could broadcast. So we're seeing particular trends where the state, where they feel that there is views not popular to them, they would then decide to cut off. All right, if we go back to Burundi now, where and how would it favor the government to shut down social media at this present moment? It's, 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 it's a violation precisely to the freedom of expression, also to, to the right to access information. Because as soon as you do that, you are limiting people to information that you only want them to see. What is then left in Burundi? Obviously, state broadcasters that would also they'll sing to the tunes of the state. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Carol Matlala from Media Monitoring Africa. Thank you. 1745 Central African Time is time for economic news. Yes, Tabiso Liwuko. Thanks, Pumelele. The International Monetary Fund says that the economy of sub-Saharan countries has been heavily hit by security threats and falling oil prices in the world market. An IMF delegation on tour of the countries says that the falling oil prices has led to up to 70% losses in some countries. Moki Kinsega reports from Nayonde. The IMF six-monthly regional economic outlook notes that some African countries are among the most at risk from the decreasing oil prices because of their degree of dependence on oil exports. The United Nations Agency says the price of food in Southern Africa will increase following a 26% fall in maize production across the region. It says a lack of maize could necessitate imports and gains, a move which could adversely affect recent food security gains. An economist with the Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome, Jonathan Pound, explains. We apologize for a lack of sound there. Zimbabwe's telecoms regulator has cancelled the license of mobile phone carrier Telesel. The postal telecommunications regulator of Zimbabwe did not give a reason for the cancellation, which came into effect yesterday. Telesel, which is 60% owned by Vimpelcom, is the second biggest wireless phone network in southern Africa, with 2.5 million subscribers. Libya's eastern Asid oil export port remains closed due to poor security. The region south of the ports is home to several oil fields where attacked in recent weeks by fighters loyal to Islamic State. Libya's western Elfield oil field is still closed due to airstrike by security guards. Elfield, which analysts say produced about 100,000 barrels per day, is operated by joint venture. Equity Bank of Kenya has posted a 13% rise in the first quarter pre-tax profit to 6 $64.69 million, lifted by a rise in interest income. Chief Executive James Mwangi says the lender has seen interest income rise 13%. The U.S. dollar, 1193 South African rand, 790 in Botswana, 738 Zambia, 065 British pound, 91 euro, gold, $129, platinum, $1150 an ounce, brand crude, $64, 55 cents a barrel. Channel Africa supports hashtag say no to xenophobia and we are one. For Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabi Solohoko and this is Sipumelele Zondi's show. I just forgot the name of it right now, but I know that I'll remember it once I'm off the mic. Or oh, do you want to remind me there? <laughs> it's Africa Digest, brother man. I've just digested the news.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You still listen to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Pumela Lezondi. Samik Loza is in the studio now with your sports news. Thanks for joining us. Floyd Mayweather has taunted Menipakau ahead of their eagerly anticipated super fight on Saturday, telling him he should be earning more money. The fight is the richest in history, although the exact figure is unknown. However, the pair split is 60-40 in Mayweather's Mayweather's favor. And the American legend says that his Filipino rival has not been looked after properly. But Mayweather says Pakau is quick, but also he makes mistakes. Uh, I'm I'm just happy. Training camp has went great. Uh, I've been going out there executing the game plan inside the gym. Now it's time for me to go out there and execute the game plan May 2nd. You know, he's a fast guy. I mean, but he makes a lot of mistakes, you know, and and what I like to do is capitalize off a guy's mistakes. And now in football news, in an effort to sustain the new contract it just signed with kids manufacturing giant Nike, the Nigerian Football Federation, the NFF, says it has concluded arrangements to commit all national team players and coaches to signing a code of conduct on how to dress during competitions. Pinnick, director of marketing of the Federation, Idris Adama, says that the development is to avoid a repeat of the problem which led to the former NFF sponsors Adidas pulling out after the 2014 World Cup. He further explains that the NFF and the American-based company Nike also reached an agreement which gives the company the right to protect its product from any flagrant abuse. In local football, Mamelodi Sundowns will welcome new PSL champions Kaiser Chiefs to the Lucas Moripe Stadium in Pretoria. And Supersport United will also look to bounce back from their NetBank Exit Cup, uh, while Orlando Pirates will look to consolidate their place on the APSA Premiership lock when the two lock-ons in a league match at the Orlando Stadium at half past seven Central African time. Supersports United come into the game on a low note following their exit from the semi-finals of the Netbank Cup on a weekend after going down 2-1 to IS Cape Town, conceding two late goals after leading for the majority of the match. Coach Gordon Igesand has admitted that it was a tough pill to swallow, but now they will focus on the league and on beating Orlando Pirates. Other matches tonight, Free State Stars will play against Vets University at 6pm at Gobble Park, and that match is a few minutes away. Mamelodi Sundowns, Kaiser Chiefs at 7 p.m. At Lucas Moripe Stadium, Chippa United against Bloemfontein, half past seven. At the Nelson Mandela Bay, Pulukwana City, Black Aces. At the old Peter Mukaba Stadium, Orlando Pirates up against Supersport United, 7.30 p.m. at Orlando Stadium. And Amazon will play against Platinum Stars at 7 p.m. at the Princess Magogo Stadium. Now, finally, International Olympic Committee Chief Thomas Bach says that a bid from Australia to host the Summer Olympics from the third time in 2008, in 2028 rather, would have a good chance of winning what he hoped would be a hotly contested bidding process. The Australian Committee, AOC, earlier this month offered its backing to a prospective bid for the 2028 Olympics by a group of mayors from South East Queensland, centred on the city of Brisbane. Bach says that he met Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott earlier on Wednesday and discussed a future Games in Australia to follow the success of the Melbourne Games in 1956 and Sydney in 2000. A bit uh, from Australia uh, would uh, enjoy a lot of uh, sympathy and uh, would uh, in fact uh, have uh, very good uh, chances then uh, also to, uh, to win. Uh, but uh, this is uh, for uh, 28, uh, so it's a little bit uh, premature to uh, talk already about uh, winning. And this is why I also told uh, the Prime Minister that uh, I would do, do uh, whatever I can 
that uh, uh, that Australia would not be alone in this race, but uh, would enjoy a, a tough competition because uh, this is what uh, Australians uh, usually love, uh, uh, a good competition, and then to win uh, maybe after a, a competition. The chairman says Australia's great contribution to the Olympic movement through sport administrators and the country's famous love of sport will make a bit attractive. It, is, uh, it would be uh, then uh, 28 years uh, after uh, the, the, the Sydney Games, and uh, I think uh, this is uh, not not too soon to come back uh, to to Australia and uh, and Oceania. Uh, the, the games are uh, you know uh, rotating uh, around the world, uh, but uh, uh, there is no uh, established circle. There is no uh, rotation by by the years. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Spumelele Zondi. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. The Southern African leaders converge in Harare for the Heads of State Extraordinary Summit. Burundi authorities shut down social media. In economics, Excess Power agrees a deal with Egypt's government to build a 65-megawatt solar power plant. In sports, Mayweather and Pacquiao again divided in fights build-up. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Luanda Mawamet, technical producer Adrian Kenny and the rest of the team, thank you for listening. You can send us emails on info at channelafrica.co.za info at channelafrica.co.za you can also send us sms's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five we leave you with akobutle by tepotul